0: I'm Katie Bennett Stenton, a senior B2B marketing professional with a real interest in digital transformation, change management and developing amazing content. I live in Melbourne, Australia with my husband and two mostly delightful children. Having worked in marketing roles in the UK, US and Australia, I've met many inspiring people and benefited enormously from the power of network and community. In this Katie Talks podcast series, I uncover the stories of influencers sharing their thought provoking business and leadership insights. My guest today is Richard Yetzinger, Chief Economist and Head of Research at ANZ, a role that he's held since 2016. Richard's writing reflects his interest in the interconnected nature of the world across business, economics, technology and society. Richard, welcome.
1: Thank you, Katie.
0: Really interested to be having this conversation with you today. I've
1: been looking forward to it.
0: Me too. Uh, As we sit here, Richard, we had prepared some questions a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I was very much looking forward to, uh, and as we record today, I, I can't very well sit here and and not ask you about how uh, COVID nineteen is impacting your day job and your life. Keen to understand a little bit more about that before we get into some questions. Uh, uh,
1: that was then. This is now. I suppose. Unfortunately, um, it's it's changed almost everything. This is this is a, a big a big issue. It's a global issue. Um, it's something we don't understand a, a lot about. One of the um, really interesting aspects of this great job I have is, you know, we get, we, we're forced to focus on things at different times that we're not actually experts in and we don't have a lot of history in. So we research really hard and do the best we can. Um, and um, COVID-19 has introduced a huge amount of uncertainty, not just into the way we think about Australia, but China, Um, And the world and I I think this uncertainty is going to be with us for quite a few months yet unfortunately.
0: Mm. It's it's interesting to see how interesting perhaps not in a great way to see how quick how rapidly this is evolving I mean you know initially or a week ago we were even talking about if it reaches Australia in significant numbers uh, now you know, last night, the Victorian Premier talking about it being a matter of time before Victorian schools are shut. Uh, it's... Look,
1: I, um, us humans, one of the things we don't do well is we don't do exponential growth very well. Not surprising. Exponential growth is hard to do in your head. But um, viruses follow an exponential growth pattern. So um, it's today, I think it's in 108 countries or thereabouts. Um, mm. Six weeks ago, it was probably in eight Um, And when, unfortunately, when a country starts to test and identify this virus the number of cases can double or triple or increase by Mm. 50% on a daily basis for a period. Um, And that's quite shocking to us Mm. and the system starts to respond to that. I mean, if there's a particularly unfortunate aspect to this is individual countries don't seem to um, learn enough from the countries that have gone before them with this virus. Um, it, it seems to have to hit home in terms of the number of, uh, in terms of the domestic spread before countries start to say, well, um, I need to respond, mm, um, okay. when actually we've we've had lots of overseas experience now that this is, seems pretty virulent, um, it will spread, we need to be prepared for that. Mm.
0: Well, and, and I've heard some interesting commentary around the fact that um, numbers are, are receding in China and that, that in view, while well, with the benefit of a little bit of time, that it's looking like perhaps the response was, was pretty decent. So the, the
1: Chinese um, response, in inverted commas, obviously the ideal response is we can inoculate against the virus. That does seem sure. like it's some time away. So the the only alternative response is is aggressively tracking the cases and um, restricting human-to-human contact and movement. And of course, economically, that is extremely damaging. That's a very severe recession in the areas affected because um, you're effectively shutting down domestic demand down to the very bare necessities and restricting movement. Um, The good news is China looks to be containing the virus. Um, The number of new cases is still growing on a daily basis, but it's growing less quickly. Sure. So we still want to see the number of cases falling, but certainly, um, you know, the trend lines are, are pointing in the right direction. Mm.
0: And Richard, I'm un, I'm interested to understand, you know, as, as we're talking about uh, the increasing likelihood that people will need to self quarantine and, and spend time working at home or at home for a period of time. How how does society go about getting cash into the pockets of workers and and companies so that they can keep the economy lie alive while they bunker down is well look
1: as we, as we record this we're waiting today or yesterday or tomorrow the treasurer to announce a, mm. some sort of fiscal package to respond to this and and you know people will look at two things one is just the size of the package and what signal that's sending about the government's focus on this and mm. the second issue is the detail of the package and the the way they think they can transmit their intended fiscal stimulus actually into people's incomes and into businesses' incomes, and I think you raise a, a really pertinent point. You know, um, as uncertain as this looks, and it doesn't look great. Um, ultimately, this should be a temporary shock of some finite nature. So the stimulus does really need to get into people's pockets very very quickly.
0: Sure. Any thoughts on what that might look like? Look,
1: I would expect them to um, have a big focus on businesses retaining workers, um, a big focus on where people unfortunately do end up losing their jobs. Um, It would make sense that any waiting periods for um, unemployment benefits, for instance, um, are waived or minimised. You could potentially look at how to deal with the casualisation of the workforce? Um, where, if you can encourage businesses to retain their casual labour, the government may um, step in and help with some share of the wage bill because, of course, casual workers don't yes. get sick leave yes. and other things. Um, one of the great, the fortunate positions Australia has itself in is, of course, the health system is very accessible to virtually the entire population,
0: which can't be said for the rest of the world. There are other countries,
1: yeah. you know, either that have insufficient health care. Um, or um, even countries like the US that have sufficient health care, but it's not accessible unless you have the mm. right credit card.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Richard, it's been a pretty tumultuous start to 2020. It has
1: been amazingly tumultuous, actually. Yeah.
0: Uh, the bushfires... Well, I, we wrote this question two weeks ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, as we work to keep abreast of how things evolve, are evolving, it often brings to stark attention differing views. The bushfires and COVID-19 have made us refocus on differing views around climate. How does that impact your work?
1: It, it has in fact resulted in, in a, a, what looks to be a big shift in views about climate but it, it, it is also back to the future. Surveys were saying 10 or 12 years ago in Australia that climate was a big issue. Um, if you remember then Australia had gone through some pretty poor climactic conditions. There was quite Mm -hmm. an extended drought in the rural sector. It seems like as climactic conditions improve, then focus on climate um, tends to diminish. And of course, it's come back again. Um, I I think climate is like some other, I suppose, secular issues like technology. Um, I think it's not just an issue for businesses and the economy, but for individuals as well. So how do I keep, um, how do I evolve myself as a, um, an employee to ensure I am um, I can use technology the best and it's not going to take over my job? Uh-huh. How do I run my business in a way that takes advantage of technology and ensures I don't get squeezed from it? How do I manage the economy to benefit from technology? You could replace technology in all those sentences with climate basically. what? what's my role in climate change mitigation as an individual mm-hmm. what's my firm's role in managing its climate responsibilities as well as its its purpose to the employees and the owners of the company um and and how do we manage the economy in a world where the market price for resources doesn't reflect all the costs of those resources like sure. the climactic costs
0: mm-hmm. well and that i mean that leads into leads us back to to COVID-19, or can, in terms of, um, well, churning its factories shutting down and, or being, you know, operating at reduced capacity and and having less need for Australia's resources that seems a bit like a bit of a circular um, discussion.
1: Look, look, it is a little bit. I think one of the, um, I work with a fantastic team. One of the benefits that gives me is when we enter these periods, certainly, I'm focused on what it means right now, but I'm also starting to think about well, when we come out of it, what will have changed. Okay. And I think COVID-19 just again, like some other issues we've had in recent years, like the trade wars, exposes how interconnected the world is, how sure. hyper-connected the world is, and how much we rely on global supply chains. And this is not just a China issue, China's a big part of it, but it's, it's, uh, it's an everything issue. It's not clear that the hyper nature of that interconnected world suits the world we we have today. And okay. not necessarily because we should expect pandemics all the time, but because countries don't get on the way they used to. Even during this period, the World Health Organisation, when they announced um, there was a health issue of global concern, said travel restrictions are not necessary or advisable. The next mm-hmm. day, the US announced travel restrictions. Mm-hmm. Other countries followed. Um, the IMF has said, for us to get through this in the best shape, we need strong global coordination and yet global coordination is largely absent, yes. actually. So our, our, the way now global supply chains have been structured, which reflect, I think, the way the world used to be, will increasingly need to be redesigned by businesses and governments
0: interesting and and you say that you're starting to to give some thought to what looks what the world looks like after which which is a nice positive thing to hear rather than just focusing on um on the issues where we are where we are at the moment what, what are your embryonic thoughts as to yeah i
1: mean a, right? f- a few a few rough ideas um, there are there are uh, You know, I'm an economist, so my brain starts with the economics. Interest rates will obviously be a lot lot lower, and for those economies that weren't at or close to zero, they look like they're going to be at or close to zero. Um, Genuine shocks to domestic demand often are very fiscally damaging, They they deteriorate the fiscal position often surprisingly sharply and by surprisingly large amounts, so I think um, you know, to the extent we've always looked at Japan as having a kind of the worst fiscal position, um, mm-hmm. I think more countries will look like Japan. Maybe not as severe, but certainly fiscal positions will be um, more more significant. Um, but there are other things. Um, back to the supply chain issue, and if we focus on a, a couple of recent examples. You know, Germany um, announced they were restricting exports of medical supplies. Um, India announced it was um, prioritizing the domestic market when it came to antibiotics and some other drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, a globalized network works when everything's working seamlessly. But, and, and sure. again, this is not about a, expecting another pandemic, but clearly we're in a world which is more unsettled um, from a geopolitical perspective. I would expect governments to have more focus and more awareness of strategically important or strategically sensitive parts of the economy, um, like your medical supply chain, Yeah. and what does that look like and how are we exposed to something going wrong either in one of our major trading partners or somebody deliberately interfering with that supply chain?
0: Mm, there's so much to ask about that. But so a lot of it's a
1: bit <laughs> sobering, unfortunately, yeah, I'm sorry. it is.
0: Well, you know what? I'm gonna change tact entirely, Richard. Right before Christmas I saw your summer holiday reading and listening list and I know that you read prolifically. What does a typical week look like for you on that front?
1: Look I do try and read a lot. I I think um, we all have particular perspectives on even our own discipline in the world and I think trying to test ourselves and add to that knowledge I think is really really important and Mm -hmm. it keeps us growing and the way we've always stayed ahead of the machines is to keep growing as individuals. And I, yes. you know, obviously we're needing to run faster than, and, than ever before um, to do that. So I have a bit of a routine um, during the day in terms of the news and things I really want to get across. And I'm pretty obsessive about my email. I have suffer a lot of personal anxiety if my email is not under control. So <laughs> my aim always is to get my unread emails to fit onto one screen on my computer. Computer
0: um, rather than your device?
1: Oh, that's impossible okay. device. Okay. But um, <laughs> if it's on one screen on my computer, then at least, you know, I feel the sense of that's my zen space. <laughs> um, um, and then... Um, on the weekends and particularly on holidays I too try and you know pick up a really interesting novel or um you know if I'm learning if I'm reading about the environment or technology or diversity which is something I've tried to learn a lot about and step out of my you know man's sphere Mm -hmm. um and really think about things from other people's perspective um then I try and do that on the weekend as well to try and keep a I guess a strategic focus to my role. It's easy to get caught up on today and tomorrow and next week, Sure. but again um, often these underlying trends which are slower moving actually end up being really really powerful and they end mm. up affecting all the short term stuff and if you just focus on that I think you miss some of those important yeah. shifts.
0: Sure. So you have said reading is the mechanism that works well for you, what, what are your go to publications?
1: So, um, I'm a religious kind of FT scanner. I mean, reader is a strong term, but I certainly <laughs> scan all the emails they send me to, to pick out things that are interesting. I'm mm-hmm. a religious kind of saver. I still, unfortunately, one of the areas I fall down on for the environment is I still print quite a bit of stuff out because it's just, I find it's the best way I can keep track of it. Um, I have my morning coffee over the Australian Financial Review, typically, and if I'm overseas, it'll be over the Financial Times. I still there's something tactile about reading the, yeah. you know, um, the stinky newsprint and getting yeah. black fingers. I agree. Um, and, and then um, I try really, I try really hard to make sure I I look at every piece that ANZ Research publishes and. Mm-hmm that might sound like a simple thing to do. We do about eight pieces a day. So um,
0: mm, okay. t-
1: for me to kind of get across all of those, I think is really, really important. Um, but also that's you know, that's a, a pretty serious time commitment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And do you step away from more reading on the weekend? or um, No, like? I tend to
1: read longer term stuff. I mean, I always have a, a pack of reading I carry around with me, which might be longer term articles. You know, at the moment it might be, um, something I've never read about before, the economic impacts of pandemics. Sure. Um, I never thought I needed that in my skill set. I'm trying to shame, read... isn't it? Yep. Exactly. I'm trying to read a bit about that. I've got a particularly interesting piece on climate change which talks about policies which try and trigger tipping points. Okay. And we know in human behaviour that tipping points are particularly important. Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, thinking about that. And often on an issue like climate change, what I'll try and do is take an issue which is tangential to economics and really weave the economics into it. So mm. what can my economic lens say about that issue, not just from an economy perspective, but maybe even from a social or a business perspective?
0: Okay. I'm interested, interested to understand a little more about that. I read a great interview with Madeleine Albright recently where she talked about the importance of having the self-discipline to look at issues um, from a different perspective uh, and to actively address and fight confirmation bias. How do you do that?
1: I agree. I, I think that is really important, um, and um, Madeline's advice there, I think, is is really really solid. Um, um, another piece of, it wasn't direct advice, but something else which really strikes me from from another female global leader is um, Christine Lagarde interviewed in the fun, the Weekend Financial Times. In their, mm-hmm. you know, they take someone to lunch kind of section. Yes, yeah. Um, you should do lunch, Katie, next time. But, okay. Um, right. But uh, but. Um, she declined the wine at lunch and the journalist asked her why and she said because I decided years ago I couldn't meet the priorities that I thought were important as well as consume alcohol in my life. And that really struck me as a, you know, we can't do everything, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You, you can't um, have this rocket ship career, be a fantastic parent, maintain your spousal relationships, maintain your relationships with your extended family and relatives. Um, maybe have some social media connections have some time to yourself exercise
0: Mm -hmm. rest sleep
1: that too if you've got time Um, so you do need to prioritize a bit and that's always really stuck with me that um, to some extent you know the the way the world is now we have it's an almost infinite possibility and things to do Um, one of the things is exercising control about what we don't do one of the things I really try and do is read stuff that um, I think sounds a bit silly.
0: Okay. Well, one article that you were talking to me about that I love the sound of, and a really good example of you reading widely, is an article that you mentioned which examines the way that song lyrics have evolved since the 90s. Talk me through that, and perhaps how that might influence your profession.
1: That's a good question. I haven't really got to phase B yet, um, how I'm going to weave it into uh, you know, a talk <laughs> or a speech or a piece of research. but. You know, it's a, it's a use of data which obviously as an economist I quite like, we quite like data. <laughs> yes. It's a use of technology because they've run, you know, the top hundred global songs for the past couple of decades through some algorithms. Mm-hmm. So that, that was an interesting aspect of it and it's also obviously a comment about society because presumably the songs we write and, and the songs that are popular reflect something about us and yes. the way we're going. And I, look, it's not Alanis' fault. I kind of blame Alanis Morissette with Jagged Little Pill because for some oh, reason that, that sticks classic. in my head. It is a classic. <laughs> but look, if you were looking for a zen moment, it's not what you'd put on. Um, and yeah. I, for some reason, it really sticks in my head as just this... This impactful song from a young woman back in 1995, believe it or not, <laughs> um, that was around the time that the use of the word hate in songs um, started to increase quite sharply and the use of the word love in songs started to decrease um, quite sharply. Um, it's clearly not Alana's <laughs> <So> we, won't, <laughs> but, we won't blame Alana. But in, 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 again, a tipping point. For me, that was a bit of a tipping point. Um, you know... Economists often focus on GDP, and we forget GDP is the means to an end. The end is higher standards of living. GDP has been the means. Um, I think it's, as, as the rate of GDP growth that we can generate out of the economy diminishes, and I do think it's, it's diminishing structurally, it diverges more intently from that quality of life, which is the ultimate goal. And unfortunately, I think too many people are still focused on we've just got to grow GDP. Will know actually what we need to do is improve living standards,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. and
1: hopefully get happier songs.
0: Absolutely. Uh, as a as an interesting aside, I understand that there's a an Alanis Morissette "Jagged Little Pill" show on Broadway at the moment. Right. So.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I'm not travelling internationally at the moment. Well, so.
0: I'm supposed to be going to watch my dad run the Boston Marathon next month, and I'm. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Watch that space. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Richard, you mentioned um, having a bit of a presence on social media earlier, and you're quite active on Twitter. I'm interested to un- just understand how that influences the way that you communicate. Yeah,
1: the Twitter was a, a real um, out-of-my-comfort-zone thing for me. That's not the way I would normally communicate. Um, I probably am a bit more of trying to be the sage-considered economist than the pithy <laughs> Twitter person. Um, uh, it was kind of made clear to me an important part of my role was my external profile. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you will twit um, it was kind of the subliminal order. And and um, I, I found some people in the team that were good at that. Um, generally, they happened to be women, actually, which I think is one of the benefits of working with a diverse group of people. Um, and they really helped me just think about You know Twitter and what what can you put there that is going to interest people and um, and promote your brand in in the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of people have brands on Twitter. You might you might not want their brand. No. Um, So and, and I think you know probably over time I've got a bit more used to trying to marry Twitter with my existing thought processes and work. And when I find something interesting like the piece about songs, I'll come up with a little tweet and. Yep. tweeted, And that also is part of my checklist for I can then go back and look at my um, posted tweets um, when I'm looking for little interesting tidbits that I might have lost along the way. So it's kind yes. of a bit of a, a mental record for me as well, so yes. I'm, I'm kind of using it as a filing system in a sense.
0: I, I, I like to do the same thing interspersed with a few personal bits and pieces. but. But I, but I also think that's quite an interesting approach. Yeah, I'm
1: pretty narrow on the personal stuff, I have to yeah. be honest. I find that a bit complicated. Nah,
0: each to their own, yeah. Although I did
1: put something up the other day, how hard is it not to shake hands, and that um, people seem to relate to that. I, and I, I saw I, that one. As we sit here today, I continue to find it difficult to do the jazz hands I know, thing. I know. Um, yeah. Thank you for the jazz hands tip as well. Ah. So.
0: Anytime, Richard. My pleasure. I'm interested to understand how Twitter has influenced the way that you consume media, you know, how you ensure that sources are reliable.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I do worry about that a lot. It, it, the thing about Twitter, I think, is it's easy to, f- and again, we're all busy and we're trying to prioritise the right things. It's easy just to read something, go, ooh, kind mm. of factual, when we know that's not the case. Um, and I think this is where on Twitter, some, some time. Um, and not the time you apply but just over time um, working out who really has some valid views and who has foundation to their views yes. and just because they've got 20,000 followers it doesn't mean they're fantastic. No. They may just specialise in anti-Trump stuff and that you know that may yeah, or may not be helpful. F- few
0: of them out there. <laughs> right. That
1: may or may not be helpful at different times. But So there's a few people particularly around China that I've followed that I knew when I worked in Hong Kong Um and that's obviously, they really have been useful during this period. Sure. And, and I, have not, I have found Twitter the most useful source of information about what's happening because it's the on-the-ground stuff that's been really important. So um, early in the China piece, um, people talking about exactly how the healthcare system was responding and like mm-hmm. other countries, not particularly well, to yeah. be fair, at the beginning, sure. you know, a photo of Shanghai train station Empty. Completely empty. I mean, that is is just a powerful signal about yeah. the the economic shock that was going through the Chinese economy. And then you know, people um, that summarize information. So uh, you know, um, the World Health Health Organization might issue something which is very long and technical and medical related. And yeah. somebody who I follow um, may have a way to interpret that you know for me, and I found mm-hmm. that really useful as well.
0: I think, I think your last point is, is really interesting and, you know, as a marketer, it's that ability to think about how people consume content and, you know, uh, frankly, the days of the 50, 60 page doorstopper report, uh, not for time poor people the optimal way to go. It is the much shorter and um, concise content that's easy to consume.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that's been good for me, actually, one of the things in this role I've tried to do is um, write research for everybody who might have an interest rather than people who are necessarily experts and mm-hmm. I think you know, bank research often might be very targeted towards people who live and breathe the economics like investment managers and other yeah. specialists and trying to be broader around that um, and, I, and I think that really has helped because for instance I try and publish a half a dozen op-eds in the paper a sure. year in different ways. 750 words is all you got baby so you better get the ideas into there and get them out Um, and so there's no weeds you got to get the story across
0: yeah oh absolutely richard what might people not know about you
1: um look they would know i love economics (laughs) They, they probably would know nothing else to be fair i don't tend to talk about me very much i don't i don't think um you know i i i come from a um, a house full of uh, females I've got my wife and I've been married for 25 years next month actually um, I've got two daughters both the second one started at university so the house is a bit empty. Um, Holly is our lovely labradoodle who's um, 11 years old um, who unfortunately is on the downhill side of the Big Dipper mm. yeah it's a bit sad but we did get Jesse recently, who's um, the male addition to the house. I think we have a bit of regret bias about getting a male dog, but um, (laughs) but he keeps, you know, kind of keeps Holly gets Holly out of a bed more than she probably would Uh would want to. Yeah. What
0: what breed is he?
1: He's a Labradoodle as well. Uh Yeah, we like the hypoallergenic, don't don't drop hair everywhere kind of dog. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'm with you. You, you might have to tweet us a photo of you, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Pushing you out of water. And I love,
1: I love the water. Um, swimming, surfing, being on a boat, um, just, I, yeah. you know, um, I'm kind of Aquaman.
0: So Sydney's a bit good for that.
1: Sydney's pretty good for that, uh,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Richard, a interesting question to close with. What does Nirvana look like in your career?
1: Uh, This might sound like a trite response. I think I'm there, actually. I think I've got the best job in the bank. That's just my (laughs) selfish kind of view. Um, I work with a a fantastic team of people who, um, you know, we test each other. um, We um, work under enormous pressure sometimes, and yet there's a lot of respect. And I think um, the way we treat each other as human beings, you know, never ceases to amaze me. And I work for a fantastic forward-looking institution. You know, it's no secret that financial sectors globally are going through some complicated times. But I think in terms of um, the response to those conditions, the focus on the quality of employees, um, really thinking about how to do things differently and being thoughtful about how we go about our work and being, you know, really values-based um Again, it's a bit like the economist thing, the difference between GDP and growing living standards. Mm. Um, You know, really focusing on the quality of of what we're doing and the human side. Um, You know, I feel really fortunate to have the role I have in in ANZ.
0: Nice answer.
1: Unscripted.
0: Totally unscripted, but... From the heart and authentic, I like it. Richard, thanks so much for your time today, particularly with all that you have going on at the moment. It's been really interesting.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks, Kate. Thank
0: you. And thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd be great if you could take a few seconds to share it and review me on iTunes to help others find this great content.